0: All right, good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody's feeling good. You know, I was looking at the calendar earlier, and the calendar tells us that it's spring out. It feels anything but spring, doesn't it? And, and if you look ahead on the weather, it doesn't look like it's going to get any better either. Now, if you've been around me long enough, the one constant that you'll find about me is that I will always complain about the weather because I honestly believe that if it's under 80 or 82 degrees, that we should not be legally required to go outside. So that, that's just me. But um, if I have not had a chance to meet you yet, because we've had a lot of new people over the last few weeks, my name is Chris Rasmussen. I'm actually one of the pastors. I serve as the associate pastor here on staff at Discover Church. And um, the last few... Thank you. You know, I've preached several times, but I've never gotten one shout out before. Thank you for that. Awesome there we go. We started a trend. Um, You know, the last couple of weeks, Jernigan has done this really amazing job of of outlining, you know, the next vision for Discover Church and and where we're going for the next couple of years. And he's done a great job talking about our Never Settle campaign and and what it means to be a pioneer or have a pioneering spirit of multiplication. Um, And so we've been challenged on what it means to be a believer in a church that never settles in comfortable. Now, this morning, we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to take just one week. It's just a one-week sermon series. Um, I get my own this time around. Um, One week of of we're going to unpack this story um, in scripture that's going to really challenge each one of us to ask ourselves, who is Jesus? Or more importantly, we're going to say, who do I say or who do you say Jesus is? And so as I was preparing this week, you know, I came across, you know, Matthew 16 and it made me really think about when, when Jesus was with his disciples and he asked them, who do you say that I am? And this is a question that we really should be asking ourselves at all times. But not only who do we say Jesus is, but do we truly believe in what we say we believe in? Because what we're going to find this morning is that worry ends where our faith in Jesus begins. Worry ends where faith in Jesus begins. And so the story that we're going to talk about is is found in Mark chapter 4. It's a story of um, a time when the disciples were in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee and this great storm Arose. It's a story about a, a, a crisis of faith. It's, it's about faith in the midst of uncertainty. It's about faith in the middle of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And so this is a message that, that's really been on my mind for several weeks. And, and I actually had prepared um, quite a while ago. But now as we think about a storm and we think about a disciples on the Sea of Galilee, I have one question for you real quick. How many of you were here last week as as Jernigan spoke on the last week of the Never Settle campaign. Does anybody remember him talking about the disciples in a boat, in a storm, on the Sea of Galilee, and a test of faith? Does anybody remember that? So let me tell you what was going through my mind last week. I'm sitting right there in the second row where I always sit because we find out at church we unofficially have signed seats, right? (laughs) You can tell who's here by where the gaps are. Oh, nope, they weren't there because I saw their seats were empty. So I'm sitting right there and and I didn't know what Jernigan was going to talk about that day. And all of a sudden he starts talking about a storm and disciples. And like I said, I had my message already written and right away in my mind, I said, oh, dear Lord, he just stole my sermon. (laughs) So this panic started welling inside of me and I'm going, oh, no. I'm gonna be up every night this week, rewriting a brand new sermon. And so I'm sitting there going, man, Jern, stop talking, please. Stop talking, go, go into some different area. I was like, man, you're killing me, Smalls. Okay, hopefully somebody caught that Sandlot reference. Awesome. Man, it just, it just rolled out, but I didn't know. So, so then he starts talking about Jesus walking on water and he talks about Peter sinking. And I'm like, okay, I'm good. Chris, you can stop freaking out because it's, a, it's the same setting, but it's a, it's a different message. So I finally was able to listen to like his second half. But, but man, I'll tell you, when you're sitting there and you're already prepared and all of a sudden someone takes your sermon, you're thinking, oh no. So now while these two stories are, are really going to be in a similar location and a, a similar backdrop, the, the passage we're going to talk about this morning actually happened before the event that Jernigan talked about last week. And so as I was wondering, you know, I was thinking, well, why does Jesus, why is his most impactful lessons on faith always during storms? Is he trying to teach us faith at times when we're in most dire or stressful situations? Now, now, I don't know the ultimate answer to that, but I think God is going to reveal the mystery a little bit as we dig into Mark chapter 4, because if you've read Mark, you'll find that, that he really does this amazing job of slowly revealing what the identity of Jesus is as he writes, and so it's going to make us all question, who do we believe that Jesus is? So we're going to turn to the, the gospel of Mark chapter four. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Mark chapter four. We're going to start at verse 35. So if you got a Bible or if you got it on your phone or, or we're going to have the verses behind me as I read and, and I'll read the entire passage and then we're going to come back and, and break it down. So Mark four, um, uh, verses 35. It starts on that day when evening had come, he said to them, And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So as we look back at this passage this morning, I'm really going to divide this into three sections for us. The first of all, we're going to set a scene for this dramatic event that's really going to... Test and expose the faith of the disciples. Second, we're going to see that Jesus is really the calming force amongst the storms. And lastly, we're going to be challenged uh, with a question that's really the central focus of what this passage is, and that's who then is this person that we identify as Jesus? Because as we discuss Jesus, this passage is going to show us that our worry ends when faith, where faith, in Jesus begins. So let's first set the scene for this dramatic event that's going to test and expose the faith of the disciple. It's in a dramatic event that tests and exposes the faith of disciples. So it starts here and it says, on that day when evening had come, so when you look back in the previous verses, if you look way back into to Mark uh, 4, verse 1, it talks about how Jesus, how, how the crowd had assembled so much that he was actually afraid of being crushed by the people. So he had actually exited um, the land and gone into a boat, and he was actually teaching from a boat along the shoreline. And so he said, and so I can just imagine teaching from a boat all day long, how exhausting that would have been. Man, I know how exhausting it is just to stand up here for 45 minutes and talk, but imagine teaching all day long from a boat during the heat of the sun. And then scripture says, it says, let us go across to the other side. Now, this might seem like a very minor detail, a minor portion of it, but this is really significant. And this is really going to be a key part of what we're talking about today because Jesus initiated the instruction to go across the lake or the sea on this night. And so the disciples, many of them were were familiar uh, fishermen, they were sailors, and so they took control of the boat and they crossed the sea. Now, before we get into it, I'm gonna bring out a few details just because I think it's really important to understand this passage of, of what we're looking at. And the first one is the type of boat that Jesus used now, scripture doesn't really tell us how big it was or how small it was, but we do know back in 1986, the water of the Sea of Galilee had also had all, a- actually gone down low enough that they found a boat that was buried in the mud. And so this boat, they, they dug up this boat and they dated it, and the best that they could do is date, date it back to about the time of Jesus. So they have actually nicknamed this the Jesus Boat. And it's currently still on display right there. Now there's not much left of it as you can sell. I don't, or you can see. I probably would not go sailing on this right now, but there is enough to let us know of what the boats were like. It was approximately 27 foot long. And so I actually measured this early as people were looking at me wondering what I was doing. Uh, Michaela, I won't mention you by name. So. If you can think about it, this stage is almost 28 foot long. So, so the boat at this time is about the length of this stage. It's also eight foot wide, which is quite funny that this really set up as well as it did is about two of these sections that I'm standing in. So it's about from here to the front, and it's about four foot on the sides, which is a little bit higher, about a foot and a half higher than what the stage is. So if you can just imagine this boat that's sitting right here as I, as I stand, this is the type of boat or the size of boat that we're talking about. It would have had oars on both sides. It would have had a mast for sailing. And this boat would have been the boat that they would have used that night, and it would have been big enough enough to hold Jesus and all his disciples. Now, the second aspect that I think we need to talk about here is the Sea of Galilee itself, because the Sea of Galilee has some very, very unique features that make it really prone to sudden and unexpected storms, especially in the afternoon and at night. And so we call it a sea, but it's really more like a large lake. It's 13 miles long from north to south. It's about seven and a half miles wide from east to west. It's actually the lowest freshwater lake on the planet because it sits 700 foot below sea level. Now the Dead Sea, if there's any scholars out there, the Dead Sea actually sits lower, but the Dead Sea is not a freshwater lake. It's actually a mineral rich body of water. And then you can see here that the, the, uh, the Jordan River actually flows from north to south straight through the Sea of Galilee. You also have the Mediterranean Sea, which is only about 30 miles to the west of it. Um, and so you can see how all the topography around it, it's just like this bowl where things just empty into. And so it's surrounded by hills and mountains, as you can see. Um, on the east is a mountain range that, that actually rises 3,000 feet above sea level. To the north or northeast is Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 above sea, sea level. So you're going from 9,200 to negative 700 in only a few miles, and so, like I said, as you can see from this picture, that all this stuff just funnels in and drops right into the sea. And so, when you combine all this stuff, you combine, you know, the the moisture air from the, the Mediterranean Sea. You combine all the cool air that's actually going up and around and through the mountains, and the fact that it's so warm around the Galilean area, and the warm air rises it really mixes to this and, and results in sudden and spontaneous storms in the in the uh, afternoon and early evening to even today, people who are on the sea today have to watch um, in the afternoon and make sure to see what develops. So these are the two really important things that happen because right here in verse 37, it says, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So like I said, the sea is known for storms, but, but this is a storm that's like no other at all. The Greek word here for windstorm is actually lilops, which means a ferocious or a furious hurricane. So we're talking about a sudden and unexpected storm with winds that were probably exceeding 70 miles per hour that came upon them just like that. What's interesting is, is in Matthew, he talks about this encounter as well, but the word he uses here for windstorm is seismos, like seismic activity, which actually means like earth shaking. So let's think about it. We're in a boat, the size of what I'm standing here from side to side, about this width, a little bit higher in here. And now you find yourself in the middle of an earth shaking hurricane. You've got waves that are breaking into the boat, filling it with water. So the the disciples are now facing this storm. They're in the middle of this. So imagine, just put yourself in the middle of this and I'm gonna add one more thing to it. It's in the night. So now you're in the dark of a night. And like I said, many many of the disciples were fishermen And they were used to this lake, but this was something that they'd never seen before. They were rattled and they were frightened for their lives. And then the Bible turns to Jesus and it says, he was in the stern asleep. Asleep. These men are in the middle of a violent, dangerous storm. Waves are crashing into the boat, filling with water. They think they're going to sink and drown. They're facing their demise and Jesus is there sleeping. Now, do you think he knew that this storm was going to come upon them? Of course he did. He knew that because it was part of his teaching curriculum of the day. If anybody is, is here as a student or, or has been a student, you know that teaching ultimately leads to a test. And the purpose of a test is, is to check your knowledge, ma- or knowledge and, and reveal areas of any improvement that you need in understanding the subject matter. And so what the disciples are going to learn on this night is that Jesus is a calming force during the storms. Or even better yet, Jesus is a calming force during the storms of our life. And I want to pause here for just a moment on the fact that Jesus is asleep in the boat because this really reveals two important aspects about Jesus. First of all, the fact is is that he was tired and he needed rest as a sign of his humanity. See, Jesus and, and Erica did an amazing job this morning setting me up without knowing it, but Jesus was, was a human just like us. He had a body just like us. He could hunger, or he did hunger for food. He thirsted, he felt pain, he experienced exhaustion, he had the same emotions, and he also needed sleep to recharge his batteries after a long day of teaching. Now, Psalm 121 says that God does not slumber, but we learn right here that God did sleep. The second thing it tells us is that he's, in, he's sleeping in the middle of an amazing, violent, and dangerous storm because he slept because he knew he was safe. He had confidence of his faith in God. Now, we know that sleeping during a crisis is not always the best response, but here it shows his faith in the face of adversity. See, Jesus knew the trials of, of man because he experienced them and he knew the weaknesses of our body because he felt them and he knew what it was like to be human, but he also knew what it was like to find faith in the struggle of a storm. So now let's put this into context in our own lives when we've had stressful situations or or frustrations. What's often one of the things that you, you hear from people say? man, I didn't sleep at all last night. Or even better yet, I did not sleep very well. I tossed and turned all night long. And anyone ever feel that or sense that? You can raise your hand, it's okay. Because I am like that, I can tell you that. I can tell you that if something's on my mind, I can be one that can lose sleep. For example, one o'clock in the morning, I woke right up and I was reciting the sermon in my head because my, my brain was going last night. And that's what happens. We, we toss and turn all night in our worry, in our anxiety. We, we can't settle our brains long enough to get a good night's rest. Now imagine grabbing a hold of a faith that surpasses that storm that you're going through and that you can sleep soundly. See, Jesus is not awake with the other disciples He's not worrying about a storm that's out there. He's peacefully at rest, asleep through all of it. But what's interesting here is that the disciples did not see this as a sign of faith. They did not look and go, oh, look, Jesus, he's sleeping. How nice, how cute. They actually saw it as a lack of concern for their own well-being. 38, it says, and they woke him and asked him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Which can construe it as, do you not care about us? We're, we're facing our demise. We're about ready to drown and die. We're in danger and you don't even care. Imagine just the that accusatory tone in that statement. It's almost like they're rebuking Jesus. You know, they, they knew that Jesus loved them, but at this moment, it looked like he didn't even care that they were just gonna die right there in that dark, watery grave. And so they asked if he even cared, if he even noticed what was going on. And this is what happens in, in times of distress. The most rational people will say and do some of the most irrational things that they will regret later. And so it's real easy for me to stand here and criticize the disciples as as I look back. But I wanna be really careful that we don't point our fingers too much because when have we done this in our own life? When have we been in a trial and we've been tempted or have cried out to God, do you not care what I'm going through right now? Do you not care about me? Do you not see what's going on? Because stress is disorientating. Our mental state is stretched and and we become very irrational and we we struggle to process information. And the the disciples testified every day to the work of Christ. They, They believed in him. They loved him. They left everything that they knew to follow him. And they were not ashamed to share the message of Jesus or the lessons that he taught But in this time of affliction, their faith was tested. And so this really cuts right to the heart of of each one of us because when have we tried our best to live a life of faith, live a life for Jesus, live to serve him, but then we feel like the disciples do at times. Everything's going wrong. We feel like we're sinking during a storm that that God is absent or silent or distant. Or maybe he's even asleep. And we think, man, if he truly loved us, or even worse yet, if he was real, I would not have to be going through this because he would be there. But we have to remember the greatest danger here is not the storms that are around us. The greatest danger is the unbelief that we have in our hearts at that time. The problem is is our doubt or even a lack of of understanding the faith not the things that are happening around us because storms are essential to our spiritual growth they remind us that he's in control and that we do not and should not ever rely totally on ourselves because sometimes he blesses us and he shines the most bright in situations that we would have preferred to avoid. Because without difficulties or stressful situations or even failures, we might never learn to lean on the strength of Jesus. And I can tell you from, from my own personal experiences, as some of you guys know our background in the last five years, we've been in all kinds of crazy transitions. We went from business in Iowa to missionary in Haiti, back to a church in Iowa, down to Kansas City, all in a couple of years. And I can tell you, it hasn't always been the easiest of times. We have ridden this amazing roller coaster, but I can tell you that some of the greatest lessons came in even our hardest of times because without adversity, we may become spiritually immature people who really heavily rely rest- more on ourselves and our own knowledge and our own understanding. And so times of distress are really moments that reveal what? Or maybe even more importantly, it reveals who we actually believe in. Now, there's a, there's a saying that out there that goes something like this. Um, God will never give you more than you can handle. Has anybody ever said that? God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you ever felt that? I'm gonna tell you right now, I think it's a, I almost used the word ridiculous, but now I did. It's a ridiculous and it's a crazy statement. He will give you more than you can handle. He will give you more than you can handle because that's how we learn to completely rely on Jesus If we only were given what we could handle, then we would have no need or to seek faith. We would have no need for God. We'd have no need to rest on the faith of Jesus if it was all about us. And here's another thing that I want to make sure if you've, if you've got that piece of paper and you got that pen, I want you to write this down. We were never promised a life free of trouble. We were never promised a life free of affliction. We were never promised a life free of stress and failures and frustrations. The other thing is, is we've never been promised a smooth journey to heaven. But it's in these storms that we face that, that Jesus draws us to him and he weans us from the, de- the dependence on this world and a dependence on ourselves. And so we learn that we can also sleep in the middle of a storm, just as he did in that boat. And now verse 39, it says, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Peace, be still. Some of your versions will probably say quiet, be still. But that's it. Three words in our English language. To a hurricane. Now, remember, we're talking about a storm that's a hurricane force winds. It's earth shaking. They actually called it like an earthquake. It's dark. Waves are crashing into the boat, filling the boat with water. And like I said, we're in a boat the size of the stage. And imagine being out there in the middle of that in a hurricane. That's what they're facing in the dark of the night. And Jesus speaks three words and says, peace Be still, and immediately everything goes calm. Imagine that. Imagine the most ferocious storm you can imagine. And Jesus stands up and says, Peace, be still. And just like that, the water is as smooth as glass, not an ounce of wind. Be still. The Greek root word here, phemo, actually means put to silence or muzzle. And that's what he did. He silenced a storm by speaking to it. He spoke to the winds and, and they obeyed him. He spoke to the waves and they yielded to his command. The great windstorm was replaced by a great calm. And now notice something here that that is not specifically in scripture, but but I think is really important is that Jesus did not calm the storm when the disciples wanted it calm. He calmed the storm based on his timing. He leads us into storms for his reasons. Remember, as I said, it's important fact in verse 35 that he instructed or He he's the one who started the journey across the lake. He leads us into these storms on purpose and he'll eliminate them and he'll calm them when he wants he does not operate on our timetable. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice if, if we could say, Jesus, I'm in the middle of the storm. Can you please stop it? I've had enough. And he's like, oh, okay, yep. But he doesn't do that. He, he, he does it on his own timetable. So no storm will strike you that is unknown to Jesus. And they will never last longer than he intends. Because not only does he plan these tests and trials, but he also designs the time frame as well and when that storm is supposed to end, he will bring it to an end and then here he turns to his disciples and he says, "Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith still?" no faith? Everything you had seen, everything you had experienced, have you still no faith? These are just two penetrating questions. See, Jesus was in the boat with them. What did they have to fear? They could could see that he was perfectly at peace, that, that he was sleeping during this crazy, violent, dangerous storm. But he slept because he had faith. You know, a few weeks ago in my devotion time, I I came across this piece of scripture that, that really spoke to me. It's in Psalm 4. It says, In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. But however, instead of being encouraged, they actually are accusatory of him that he didn't care. They did not look to him for safety. They actually turned to him in condemnation. So how many times have we done this? We're in the middle of the storm and you sit there and you say, hey, why, why, don't, why am I going through this? Where are you? Are you absent? Um, I, I don't even know it. Or you go through a faith crisis and you say, man, I don't even know if I believe this anymore because I'm going through this crazy storm and he's not here for me. No, we don't cry out and we say, yep, things are really bad, but man, I got faith in Jesus. This is okay. Man, we do this in our own lives. Even after everything that they had seen and experienced, they were still afraid. And so this is where it comes to this amazing conclusion because had they truly come to terms with the true identity of Jesus... The true identity of Jesus, because worry ends where faith in Jesus begins. Worry and faith are, are often opposites. Worry is a natural condition of our, our humanity. We have we worry about things, and worry can overcome our faith, but our faith can eliminate our worry. So maybe even today you're you're going through a, a situation. Maybe today you're going through a, a storm and you 're not sure what's going to happen, or, or maybe somebody you know is going through something, and, and you 're thinking i don't know how this is going to end, and i don 't know where the easy situation is, and it 's going to turn out really, really bad. Maybe you're going through something with your family or or your kids or maybe a marriage. Maybe it's a job. I don't know what it is, but you're going through this and it seems like it's not getting any better. What I want to tell you this morning is that he's in that boat with you. And you can exercise faith and lay down your worry. He's telling us that there's no reason to panic. That boat is not going to sink. It's, it's not. You're not going to perish in the storm. Have faith in him. And he'll bring it to the conclusion that he wants it to to be. And you can rest peacefully because worry ends where faith in Jesus begins. So the question here then is, who is this Jesus that we place our faith in? And that's how this comes to an end in verse 41. It says, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Now we have to be really careful here when we we look at this passage that it's not about us. It's not about our storms. I, I know I've talked a lot this morning about our storms and our faith in the midst of trials, but we must not walk out of here putting ourselves center of this story. Yes, it is true we will encounter storms in life. Yes, it is true that we will examine our, our faith and find out what or, or who we truly believe in during these times. And yes, it is true that I'm imploring you to find peace and calm in the midst of a turmoil. But this is not and never will be our story. The Bible is about Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for us. And so we must take great care in not looking at this and making it about our life or our struggles or our trials, our afflictions, our storms. It's not what this is about. The passage comes to an end with the disciples saying, who then is this? And some of your versions might say, who can this be or or who is this man? Because the focus of this passage is not on us. The focus is on Jesus. And the true identity points to him as not only the son of God, but as God himself. And so Jesus is the person that we place our faith in. But we do this when we're in a storm, and we do this when we're out of a storm. And so when it says a great fear mentioned here is, is I think it's just this amazement and this astonishment of who they find themselves in the presence of. Who couldn't be that this guy commanded a storm? So many of, of the disciples, they, they knew their Old Testament. They had, they had grown up reading this stuff. And so they knew by reading the Psalms that only God can control storms. So Psalm 89 said, you rule the raging of the seas. When its waves rise, you still them. And then Psalm 107, it says, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted to the heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. The sailors, it says they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. They cried to the Lord, in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storms be still and the, the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. See, this Psalm, it talks about the sailors at sea and it talks about the storm. It talks about mounting up to heaven down to the depths and how the sailors' courage was melted at this time. It says that they were reeled and they staggered throughout the boat and their wits at the end. But then what does it say? It says they cried out to the Lord and he delivered them to their desired haven. See, this Psalm 107 is is just remarkably similar to what the disciples had just gone through. It's remarkably similar to the story in Mark. Now they have witnessed Jesus command nature. They knew God could do it from reading the Old Testament. Now they saw Jesus command nature with the same power and authority that they had read about. And here was this, this man this guy that they had spent time with, a person of flesh and blood who hungered, who thirsts, who gets tired and needs rest. But now he exhibited something that they knew only God could do. This shows us that Jesus is, mere, is more, so much more than just merely a man. So who then is this? This is the question we need to ask ourselves today. And, and I started earlier talking about Matthew 16 when, when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? How would you answer that? If Jesus was standing right here and he said, who do you say that I am? How would you answer that? Because it was at that point that Peter spoke up and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, he knew that Jesus was no mere man, but he was there to save his people. So who do you say Jesus is? Who is he to you? Because there's a couple of things that that I know from reading through this passage. First of all, our storms are, are never comfortable, but they are crucial in shaping who we are as followers of Jesus Storms are not comfortable, but they are crucial in shaping us. Number two, our storms are often the moments that reveal our faith and show what, or even maybe more importantly, show who we really believe in. Number three, Jesus is not only with us in the storms, He's fully in control. Jesus is not only with us, as, as Erica talked about, he's standing there as, as she's talking about crying, and he's right there with you, and you're you're talking about all these emotions. Like, this doesn't eliminate our emotions. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying here is that when we're going through these storms of life, you're still gonna feel emotions. We're human, but it's showing us that he's with us in our storm and he is fully in control of it. Fully in control. And fourth, worry ends where faith in Jesus begins. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.